you're taller, so you might want to stand. Yeah. Good morning. Welcome. Would you please stand with us as we worship our Lord this morning? It's good to see everyone. Just as you are. 
These are some of the ladies that went on the retreat uh, last weekend. They're excited. They want to come and share their excitement with us this morning. Clyde and Judy, come on up here. Clyde and Judy Herzog. You know, Clyde and Judy have been a part of our church for about 38 years. And uh, 
sometimes when people move away, you know, they just kind of slink out of town and nobody says anything, but I, I had to... He tried. He said he tried, yeah. Uh, do you want him to do it this time or me? No, I want, uh, I want you and then he can say something also uh, to you, okay? okay? Wait a minute now. Just slow this thing down. You're going too fast. <laughs> um, Clyde and Judy came here about 38 years ago and raised their kids in the church. And they're, the kids are here today and we're happy for them uh, to be a part of uh, this uh, little celebration of ours. Uh, they're not going away permanently. They're just moving up north in Pittsburgh. But I thought anybody that's been here this long and has done as many things as Clyde and Judy has done in the church uh, deserves our thank you. And so let's thank them, okay? You know, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to lose people you give your heart to. And that's, I think that's one of the hardest things for me as a pastor. People come into the church and you bond with them and you, you work with them and you cry with them and you do all these things and then nothing remains the same. But uh, a 38-year-long stint is a pretty long time. And so, <laughs> Judy, just share the, that, that little thought you did in the first service about how you came. All right. Um, I, I was uh, raised in a Christian home. I went to a Baptist church. And then I married somebody that wasn't a Baptist uh, or saved. Uh, but anyhow, we moved to Finleyville. Uh, it was uh, June 1974. And the week that we moved, I had a miscarriage. My parents moved. His parents moved all within five days. So I was a little unhappy, and I just, and God was tugging at my heart. And, uh, but I went back to work and I traveled down 88 past the church and we used to have a, a sign. Well, there is a sign there now, but it was a, a rickety, rickety sign. That's the way you describe yeah, it. Yeah, it was rickety. rickety. <laughs> we weren't rich then. <laughs> you know? and, um, that was before Clyde made all his money. <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. Um, but as I was going, going to work, it was just like God just would, from up here on the hill, would just reach down and just really tugged at my heart, and it was just, I knew I had to go back to church, and um, so uh, January of uh, 1975, that was our New Year's resolutions that we were going to go back to church, and uh, Clyde, as I said, was raised Presbyterian, but I was raised as a Baptist, um, and so we said we'd go to both churches uh, in town, the Presbyterian church in town. But I won out that we went to the Baptist church first. And uh, so when I got home that Sunday, I, I knew that I could not go to any other church but this one. And uh, so the next night, pastor came out, knocking on the door. It was a Monday night. And, and Clyde accepted you know, Jesus as a Savior, and nothing has been the same. We've been here ever since. We raised our children here. Our children went to the Christian school. And I couldn't have asked for a better place to raise my family and have such wonderful Christian friends. This, is, this will always be home. Amen. Amen. Clyde, you can say a word. Now. Well, first of all, I uh, always felt that... Uh, if I ever left, there would be some sort of a celebration. So this is a, 
Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it short, but what this church has meant to our family is almost beyond words how you can describe the, the family atmosphere that has developed over the years at this church. I know there's many people out in the audience that go to this church that I could call in a moment's notice and they would be there for me. And, and I think that it's not just coming to church, it's the family here. Amen. And, and I, I think everyone <clears throat> needs to embrace that thought that this is a family take that and embrace it in your lives and I think it'll be richly rewarded if you do. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Clyde. God bless you. Thank you. Sherry, their daughter is here. Sherry, raise your hand there. You meet Sherry if you haven't met her already and uh, her husband. Uh, also, uh, we have uh, James here and Jennifer. Sherry's husband is Jason. So, and, but the two little kids, they're the ones that drew Clyde away from the church. And, uh, but he's not far. The consolation of this whole, the whole thing is that Clyde's only in Wexford. So uh, he's threatened to come back and help Jim Watts around the church on Wednesdays. Okay? So we may hold him to that. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you. And uh, find one of those little black friendship folders, if you'd be so kind, and put your name on that and send it down the aisle. I want to say this one other word about Clyde. I knew the day, Clyde lives around the corner from where Joanne and I live. Actually, it's just a stone's throw away. And uh, I knew it was the day that they were moving. And uh, I was sad, Clyde, that whole day in my heart that you were loading that van up. I was sad that day. And uh, it just kind of touched me. So, God bless you, buddy. Let's stand together as we receive our morning offering at this time. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love, and we thank you for this time that we can uh, embrace Clyde and Judy and as they uh, move on with the next chapter of their life, Lord. We pray now that you'll bless each gift and each giver as we give for your work in this place so that others too may enjoy the family atmosphere that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who has called you into his kingdom and glory. I'm sorry, you know me, I get choked up, but it's so awesome. <laughs> the clamp, that was a word, if you weren't at retreat, that I owned. Um, we often say what happens at retreat stays at retreat. But here's a little glimpse of, of some things that happened at retreat. We worshiped. We were encouraged. We were comforted. Clamped. And we were definitely urged to live lives that we were called to live. Um, I was very blessed and kind of funny because I lost my voice, if you can tell. It's not completely there. And then I was supposed to not only kind of keep things flowing and use the voice, um, I was supposed to give a talk on Saturday. And um, all these ladies were praying over, over me and for me. And that voice appeared for about 45 minutes to an hour on Saturday. And then it went away again. So part of the blessing was I got to kind of sit back and um, was encouraged because my good friend Rhonda stood up for me and was able to, um, of course, lead and, and keep things flowing. And then it, it showed up so I could say goodbye to all the ladies. So, um, you know, God was so good. And I want you to just take my word for it. I'd like you to hear from uh, Verna um, and her testimony about the weekend. Okay. As she said, my name is Verna Minard. Um, when Dion asked me to give a little testimony, I had no idea where to begin. There were so many things. A weekend filled with lots of food, games, fellowship, discussions, um, guest speakers. Um, There's just so much that was packed into that weekend. But it wasn't overwhelming. And that was the one thing. Um, this was my third one. And this was the first time I didn't feel like I was rushing here and rushing there. We're doing this. Um, it was great. We had, like, the schedule, and this is everything we're supposed to do for the day. And I felt like there was so much downtime, even though not everybody thought that was the truth. <laughs> I felt that way. So I guess I was comfortable. So it gave me a chance to um, work on the friendships that I, I've already built with several of the ladies, but then also to to work, like, create new friendships. Um, the biggest thing that I enjoyed, and I said this in the first service, is for the past two years, Stephanie and I have rode up to the retreat together and came back, and just building on that friendship, she's one of my best friends, and um, just getting to know each other better, and just working on the friendships while at the retreat, rooming with Julie and Lindsay and Jenny, or not Jenny, but um, <laughs> Shauna, and um, Stephanie, um, don't worry, Jenny, you're in there too. You're included. Um, there were tears, there were jokes and laughter, but it was nice to be comfortable to share my goofy jokes with <laughs> and just be able to be myself and be comfortable around the ladies. So I definitely encourage any of the ladies that have any questions about it, um, come out and see for yourself. It definitely is an encouraging weekend. So, thank you. Okay. Okay, thank you, ladies, for that. Um, Kim and Matt.
This is always a, uh, a happy time for, uh, for a church to, to have what we call baby dedication. Uh, Matt and Kim Kuzawinski are bringing uh, Myla Reagan today uh, to dedicate uh, her to the Lord. And I like to uh, read uh, just a, a few passages of Scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is a story of Hannah. She made a vow and she said, O oh Lord, if you'll indeed look on the affliction of my maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but I will give your maidservant, if you will give me a, a male child, then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. As you know how the story goes along, uh, the Lord uh, did exactly that. He answered her prayer. Uh, every little baby is an answer to prayer. Uh, before, during, and uh, lots of prayer after. Verse 20, it says, And it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, because I have asked him from the Lord. The interesting story about that is the fact that uh, she kept her vow. She came back to the Lord with, uh, with this little answer to prayer. And she said, O oh Lord, as my soul lives, I am a woman who stood before you praying. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. So they worship the Lord. One of the greatest things in all the world is to be able to take the hand of your child and place it in the hand of God. And I think really that's the role of every parent. And you know, we, we call this baby dedication, but really this is parent dedication. Uh, because it's the parents that uh, lead children in the way of the Lord. It's the parents that walk before them, leading them to Christ. We come together this morning uh, to show our appreciation to God for Myla Reagan. What a gorgeous little doll. <laughs> She's got this big smile right now. I think she knows what I said. Uh, we come, first of all, to thank the Lord for this precious child. And to commit ourselves to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Whenever we teach our children diligently the things of God, we lean upon Proverbs 22.6, which says, and you know it, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. And we see this happening so many times in the church, uh, exactly that. Parents training their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And when they're old, they're, it's their generation. Then they take the church to the next level. Uh, Matt and Kim, I'd like to ask you, this question uh, today. Uh, will you do everything in your power to raise uh, this child in a godly way, leading them to Christ? Thank you. Teaching them, modeling uh, the way of Jesus. And uh, above all else, of course, I know that Matt and Kim know this, that, that prayer is the key, isn't it, to bringing your children to Christ. And now I ask our congregation, you know,
the first responsibility of every parent, of, uh, for every child, is their parent to teach them the right way. Uh, and then it's, uh, it's the object of the church to support them in that proposition. And so if you are a church, we'll support them in this proposition of raising this child in the way of Christ. Would you stand with me right now as we pray the prayer of dedication? Thank you. Dear Lord, we come into your presence today and uh, we acknowledge uh, your blessing. You have answered uh, Matt and Kim's prayer for Myla Reagan. And uh, here she is, Lord, in all of your glory. You have created her and uh, she is awesome. And we acknowledge that fact right now. We pray a mighty uh, blessing down upon uh, the Kuzawinski family with their children, Lord. Madison, Michaela, and Caden also. We pray that uh, our church uh, will be the kind of church that, that Clyde just talked about. The kind of church that can be here for them when they have a need. And Lord, by us standing together and making this acknowledgement public, in your presence today we are saying just that. That we're going to do our best, Lord, to support them as they walk this journey in the days ahead. And so now we come to dedicate Myla Reagan uh, to you and to your work in the future. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you. Hey, that's quite a nice little flock, isn't it? Man, holy cow. Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Jonah. I know the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Jonah is what? It's a whale, right? <laughs> well, this is the story. Jonah. Chapter 1. I'd like to talk to you this morning about Jonah's second chance. Uh, you know, even this, is a, this, is a, this book is almost near the end of the Old Testament, so if you're, if you're in that vicinity, you'll eventually find it. It's a small book, only four chapters. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Now for those of you who know anything about this and have read this, you, you know that Tarshish is, is, is the wrong direction. God called him to go east. He went west. That's not the right direction. So Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Now, for those of you who like to underline things in your Bible, this is something to underline the word down. And the, and the reason why I ask you to do that is because anytime a person goes west when God told them to go east, it's down. It's down. And so he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. And look at this. He went down. You're going to find this mentioned a number of times here. First of all, he went down to Tarshish. Then he went down further. And, uh, and to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship... Uh, was about to be broken up, and the mariners were afraid. Now, this is interesting to me because these people were, they knew the sea. 
And you know, the sea is a deadly place, and they knew that this was the time for them to be afraid. They had seen a lot, I'm sure, but they'd never seen a storm like this one. The mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God. It's amazing when you come close to death how God-conscious you become, how the consciousness of the Lord just draws you. Do you have a need that's beyond your capacity? And so here the Bible says they cried out to their own gods and they threw the cargo that was in the ship. And isn't this interesting that when we get close to the edge of death, the material things don't matter. All the stuff we kill ourselves to get in life doesn't matter. And so they started throwing over this precious cargo, just to get rid of it, over the side of the ship. And uh, they wanted to lighten the load, but Jonah had gone down. Notice again the word down into the lower parts of the ship. And then he had laid down and was fast asleep. Down, 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 down. Every time we try to run from the presence of the Lord, we're not going up. We're going down. Verse 6. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise. Everybody's telling Jonah to get up. (laughs) Jonah at this time just wants some peace in his life. Arise. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. They were up there calling on their gods and that wasn't working. And so they said, Jonah, why don't you just call on yours? Give that a try. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know who's caused this trouble. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us. They asked him a series of questions. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So they said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and all the dry land. And so Jonah confesses, I fear God. I don't think he did, but he said it. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to one another, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of God because he had told them. They knew that Jonah had done something very bad. And the reason why they were in the situation they were in is because of what he had done. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that uh, the sea may be calm? For us, for the sea was growing more tempestuous. And now Jonah knew the solution. Pick me up and throw me into the ocean. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. In other words, he says, listen, I know what we're going through right now in the ship. I'm the problem. But the men, they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to cast Jonah into the sea. And so they tried to row harder, the next verse says. Um, verse 14 says, Therefore they, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They finally gave up and they followed the advice of Jonah and they said, Okay, Jonah. And uh, they said, One, two... See ya. Three. And they tossed Jonah overboard. They picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. 
Many people believe that what this means is that these mariners were so impressed that God calmed the sea that they were converted to this God who was the God of the sea. Verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah is a prophet of God. And uh, he was a prophet of God before God called him to go to Nineveh. But when God called him to go to Nineveh, there was something in him that rebelled against that calling. I believe that every follower of the Lord has a mission in life. I really do. When I wake up in the morning, I say to myself, what's my mission for today? Where am I going? Who am I going to represent Christ to on this day? Uh, because, you know, I have my little circle of influence. I have my little circle uh, of uh, impact. And uh, Jonah had his, but God was trying to expand Jonah's circle of impact. He was trying to get him to, to live outside the box. And so he called him to go to, to Nineveh. Uh, there are two Old Testament books of the Bible that talk about Nineveh. The first one is Jonah. And Jonah talks about the mercy of God. God sending Jonah to Nineveh was about God's mercy. God wanted to spare these evil people. The second book is the book of Nahum. And this morning I got up and I read the book of Nahum. Now, don't be impressed. It's only three chapters. But I read the book of Nahum, and it's about the judgment of God upon Nineveh. Evidently, Nineveh did repent at the preaching of Jonah, but then they fell back on their repentance, and God eventually judged them and destroyed the city. That's the story of the book of Nahum. And so it, it depicts the love of God and the justice of God, and God is, God is both. God does love us, but he is also just. And in the book of Nahum, there is this verse, chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read it together this morning. The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great. And he never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind and in the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. The Lord is slow to anger, but he never lets the guilty go unpunished. And he displays his power in the storm. Now, the Lord told Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. It was a great city. He said it was. It was the greatest city of the time. They said it had 100 towers, and each tower was 200 foot high. Now, this building is 100 foot long. So if you can visualize that, the towers between the walls were 200 foot high. The walls themselves were as long or as high as this church is long, 100 foot. And they were so wide that that three chariots could ride along the top of the walls side by side. The city was so big that the, someone said that they could grow corn enough to feed the population of 600,000. Well, the book of Jonah is an interesting book, and you can divide it into four sections, each one a chapter. The first one is Jonah runs from God. That depicts a lot of people that you and I know. The second one is Jonah runs to God. That's the second chapter. 
The third chapter is Jonah runs with God. And the fourth chapter is Jonah runs up against God. So God gives Jonah a mission. He says, listen, Jonah, I want you to arise and go. And what that literally means is this. I want you to go immediately. Some of God's missions have to happen now. Others of them happen at later times or gradually. But this one was so important that God says, listen, Jonah, get up, arise, go now. This was an order from the Lord. Go preach against the wickedness of the Gentile town. Uh, this kind of reminds me of what they were talking to Jesus about in his ministry. They were criticizing Jesus and they said, listen, look at Jesus. He's going out eating with tax collectors and sinners. <gasps> Isn't that a terrible thing? What's wrong with him? Jesus answered them. Remember what he said? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not call, come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinners to repentance. And so it is with calling Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah would probably have liked to have stayed and preached to the choir. It's easier. They're nicer. But God says, listen, there's a whole city over here that has absolutely corrupted themselves. And I love them so much that I don't want them to perish. So get up and go now. Well, in verse number 3, he does arise and he does get up. Verse 3, of a Jonas arose, Jonah arose, but he went the opposite direction from the presence of the Lord. I think he might have had a limited theology because, you know, in our world today, we seem to know so much about theology. We throw these big words around, the omnipresence of God. That simply means that God is everywhere. You can't go anywhere that God isn't. You can't run away from him. We know that. Maybe he didn't know that. And so he runs away from God. Um, I know there's been a lot of speculation on why he ran from God. Uh, first of all, this was a hard job because it was 500 miles the trip from Israel to Nineveh, which is in Iraq, 500 miles to the east. And that was a long journey. Maybe he didn't want to make that journey. But you know, there's another reason, though, that's more important than that, and this is the main reason, I think, why Jonah wouldn't go, is because he didn't like the people. That's why. In fact, he says that in chapter 4. He didn't like the people. He didn't want God to spare them. He didn't want them to be saved. He wanted God to judge them. These people were called the Assyrians. And Jonah didn't want them to escape judgment. Imagine a man, a Jewish man in New York during World War II, hearing God say, I'm going to bring terrible judgment on Germany. God's not finished. I want you to go to Berlin, tell Nazi Germany to repent. And instead of doing it, uh, the man heads to San Francisco and hops on a boat to Hong Kong. Well, that's the same scenario here. The Bible says he went to flee to Tarshish. Why did Jonah choose Tarshish? Because it was thought at the time to be as far away from civilization as anyone could ever go. You see, Nineveh was east, Tarshish was west. 
And uh, it was actually Spain. Psalm 139, verse 7, says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Uh, Jonah somehow maybe didn't know that he couldn't run away from God. Uh, But, you know, he was a prophet of God. And the prophets were the the way that God spoke to people back during that time. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, God at various times and in various ways spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Uh, And so he got on the boat and he kept going down and down and down. And how do you think that God um, responded to this? He sent a storm. Whenever you and I run away from God, how does God respond? Does he just kind of like say, oh, okay, they want to run away from God. Let them do what they want to do. No, God loves us too much to let us get away from him. And so he allows circumstances to happen in our life that get our attention. How many people here have ever allowed God or have ever experienced in your life God getting your attention when you raise your hand? Yes, okay. God knows how to do that. He's going to get your attention. He sends a storm. When we run away from God, troubles come. Winds begin to blow because they're under his command. But it's interesting here that Jonah is in the boat sleeping. He's wasting valuable time. The crew is up on the deck. They're praying. They wish their God would do something. Nothing's happening. It's amazing when people get in trouble. Sometimes the first instinct, and it's not all bad, is that uh, this, there's this God consciousness. Maybe I better reach out to God here. Charles Spurgeon once said, All around us there's a tumult and storm, yet some professing Christians are able, like Jonah, to just go to sleep. Jonah represents sleeping Christians. It crossed my mind one time. Maybe Jonah was depressed. Uh, Maybe that's why he was sleeping, because that's the way depression works. You know, many people have had a little touch of that. It's not pretty. You just want to sleep. And, uh, you know, whenever you don't do the right thing, you don't feel the right way, sometimes you get depressed. When you do the right thing, you feel the right way, you get motivated, you get strengthened. Uh, See if you can identify with this. Jonah slept in a place where he could not help with the work that needed to be done. Jonah slept while there was a prayer meeting up on the deck. He wasn't there. Jonah slept and he had no idea of the problems around him. Can you identify with this as a Christian? He had no idea of the problems around him. Jonah slept when he was in great danger. Jonah slept while the heathen needed him. Sleeping Christians snooze on while the world needs their message. God forbid that you and I would be a sleeping Christian. Don't sleep. Wake up. You know what God was doing with the storm? God was getting his attention. God loves you and me so much that he will get our attention to bring us back to him to be used by him. I love Hebrews 12, 6. Let's read this together, please. For the Lord disciplines those he loves 
and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. You know, whenever you join the family of God, you put your feet under his table and, says, and God says, okay, now we go by my rules. I know that there are people in our church and you were raised in a family uh, where your dad said to you, listen, there are certain things you can't do in this house even though your buddies are doing them down the street. They don't live here. Uh, in this house, there's a different standard. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you remember those years? You get in at 10 and the kid protests and says, oh, my buddy, he gets in at 12. Well, Dad says, well, listen, that can't happen here. It's not happening here. I just want to go on record. It's, it won't happen. And the reason why your father or your mother laid down the laws, so to speak, is because they loved you. They loved you. And so here we find that God reaches out to Jonah and he won't let him run away because he loves him. And he said, I'm going to get his attention. I love him too much to let him run from me. I'm going to create a scenario that he will run to me rather than from me. These waves, where did they come from? In verse number 12, Jonah says, listen, I know where they've come from. It's my fault. I'm a prophet of God. It's my problem. You know, fixing problems almost always begins with us. Do you know that? Almost always. Because we're so good at the blame game. You know, I have this problem because of this person. I have this problem because of this situation. If I weren't in this situation, this and we go on and on and on. But oftentimes, the beginning of fixing our problems is looking in the mirror and saying, listen, I have a problem. And I'm going to fix myself. Actually, that's the only thing you can fix. Yourself. That's all. I know you've tried to fix others, haven't you? It's not too successful. <laughs> you've worked on them. You've manipulated. You've bent. You've tried. You say, oh, this is hard. Well, it's not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. And so fixing problems almost always begins with us. And so Jonah here was big enough at this time to say, to admit to the mariners that uh, the problem was his. Uh, we have to awake from our sleep and admit our failure. And you know what happens? When that happens, good things begin to happen. As long as we are blinded to our own failure, and as long as we won't admit that, there's no hope. We just keep going down and down and down and down. But uh, Jonah says, listen, I'm the problem. I even know the solution. Throw me overboard. They didn't want to do that. They rode harder. They, they got out and they said, listen, we don't want to throw you overboard. And then they finally says, hey, listen, I think we're working against God. And so um, he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Why did Jonah ask to be thrown into the sea? Perhaps out of compassion for the sailors. You know, these sailors probably weren't Assyrians, and he liked them a whole lot better. He actually hated the Assyrians who lived in Nineveh. And so he had compassion, and he saw all these people, perhaps out of a desire to be forced into complete dependence upon God alone, perhaps out of feeling that anything was better than this continual resistance against running from God. Nothing as bad as that. Do you know that? Perhaps because he was already truly repented, and I think this is the reason here. This is the case. It illustrates that repentance is not only a matter of the heart and mind, but also a matter of action. 
You know, when we truly repent, it's just us, not us feeling guilty or sad for the mess we've made and the hurt that we've provided for other people. That's not repentance. Repentance is an action word. Repentance means I'm going to do something. I'm just not going to feel bad. I'm going to do something. And that's what happened right here. Jonah says, listen, I know what to do. I'm the problem. You do this. And they did. They threw him in the sea. God loves Jonah. God loves Jonah. I believe that God loves you enough to put you in a precarious situation so much so that you don't know whether you're going to make it or not. Because you've heard the old saying, uh, there's no hope for anybody until they reach the what? The bottom, right? I've talked to people in my counseling ministry and they've come in and they said, Pastor, I'm not ready for what you're talking about because I haven't reached the bottom yet. Almost like a pride thing. And, and they were right. They weren't ready. And then on the other hand, I've had people come and say, Pastor, I'm below the bottom. Just tell me what to do. Well, God knows how to bring you to the place that you're ready to listen to his voice and you're ready to throw yourself on the dependence of God. Not because, now listen to this, not because he wants to hurt you. It's because he loves you. That's why. He loves you. He loves you too much to let you live your life the way you want to. He wants you to live your life in his blessing. And that's not going the wrong direction. That's not going west rather than east. And so he loves you. Uh, Jonah was not the only reluctant prophet in the Bible. Remember Moses? Moses complained to God that he could not speak well. He said, I'm not eloquent, I can't speak, etc., etc. Jeremiah said that he was too young to speak for God. He says, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child, God. And there were others, Gideon. But, you know, those people talked it out with the Lord. They worked it out. God convinced them, and they went about their business, and they, they served the Lord. But not Jonah. Jonah didn't have a discussion with God. He wouldn't discuss this. He just went his own direction. Uh, maybe you're here in the church like that this morning. Maybe you're running from God. Now listen, I won't be surprised. Because I ran from God too in my life. I ran from God's calling. But God loved me too much to let me do my own thing. I'm his son. You're his daughter. He loves you too much. And so Jonah said, listen, I'm the problem. Uh, that's the beginning of the turnaround in your life. Good things happen when Jonah stopped running. In his mind, he stopped running. You may not be able to change your circumstances in, in your life today, but you can change your mind, and, you, and it'll change right there. You know, God does give second chances. Uh, and that's exactly what he was given Jonah. He intercepts people all the time who are running from, from him. Who are running from him. I mentioned this one time, I think, in the church. Um, little did I know how God would work in my life. Um, you know, I'm that kind of person that takes a spiritual responsibility as serious as I can. Uh, 
And I feel like that I'm in charge of my little circle of influence, you know, my kids, their kids, <laughs> their kids. <laughs> and uh, everybody else I come in contact with, I feel like God's like put me there for that reason to do what I can do to help them find the way to Christ. Um, I, had a, I had a cousin whose name was Penny. She had a hard life. Her father was an alcoholic. No way that every, a lot of people can identify with that. He, was, uh, he used to fly on airplanes with the presidents of our, president, several presidents of our country and take pictures. He was the photographer. And I think what he would do is he would travel around the world with the presidents. He would take pictures and he would drink and drink and drink and drink and life became so hellish. And, and so they gave Penny, their daughter, up to my grandmother uh, in Connellsville to try to raise for them because there was no normalcy in Washington, D.C. for her. And my dear grandmother and grandfather took her in and my mother actually took her in for a short period of time and she was tossed around, and uh, I never had a close relationship. We were just never together, and, and so um, she told me in later years, the only thing I remember about you, Johnny, is you were chasing me in my grandma in grandma's house with a broom one day. What a, what a memory I gave her, you know, her blessed cousin, John, you know, chasing her with a broom. Uh, well, you know, I continued. I always pray for my circle of influence. One day, Penny called me and said, my mother, Dorothy, in Washington, D.C., passed away. And I'm bringing her remains to Scottsdale, the little family cemetery up there in Scottsdale, Pennsylvania. And would you, knowing that I'm a minister, would you say a few words over her grave? And I said, sure. So she flew into the Pittsburgh airport and uh, she got off the plane and she said, here, Johnny, take mother. And so I took mother. And uh, she and I went to Scottsdale. And uh, we went to the family grave spot up there, the Trimble family. And, and I said a few words. And, and she was she's going to stay at our house right over here, right around the corner from your house, Clyde, Vaughn Valley Lane, that night. And so... And so we were just talking in the, in the living room. And, and I said to Penny, I, I said, Penny, have you ever come to the place in your spiritual life that you know for certain if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? And she said, no. No. See, Penny had been bounced around all of her life and had become hard and bitter. And I said, Penny, can I share with you how you can have eternal life? And she said, yeah. He said, yeah. So there in our living room at 3450 Fawn Valley Lane, my cousin Penny, who got beat up at every corner, gave her life to Christ. And after she gave her life to Christ, do you know what she said to me? She said, Johnny, I've been running from you my whole life. And what she meant by that is I've been running from God my whole life. Well, God intercepted her life, gave her a second chance. And uh, maybe you're here today running from God.
He loves you. He loves you. He wants you to come to him. Maybe you need a second chance and you're sitting there and you're saying, boy, I already had that one. Maybe you need a third chance and you say, I had that one too. Maybe you need a sixth chance. God has those too, you know that? Just come back to God. Throw yourself at the mercy of God. And do this first. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. I wonder if you can identify with Jonah. Maybe God called you to be saved uh, way back somewhere, sometime, someplace, and you kind of brushed it off and ran away. Well, God's trying to get your attention again today by this, by this service this morning. I don't think he'll give up on you. I really don't. I don't think he'll give up on you. Uh, maybe you're here as a Christian and God called you uh, to do a certain thing and you, you said, I can't do that. I'm going the other direction. And God wants to give you another chance. He loves you. And so right there in your seat this morning, why don't you... Why don't you do the thing that Jonah did and stand up in your heart and say, God, I'm the problem. I admit it. I'm the problem. But I don't want this to continue. I'm coming back to you today. There was that day that Judy Herzog rededicated her life to Christ. I believe in rededication. I really do. I believe that you can be a Christian and asleep while the world is perishing around you and your closest family is perishing around you and you're sleeping, let's wake up. Let's rededicate our life to Christ. Dear Lord, we thank you for the story of Jonah in the Bible and the second chance is so awesome. We thank you for giving us these chances, Lord, and getting our attention because you love us. We pray now that we'll take advantage of this opportunity this morning to come back to you In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing this song, if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life, or you'd like to come and rededicate your life to Christ, or make a decision for the church, you come and do that as we sing. At the foot of the Show me your love through the judgment you receive, and you won my heart. Yes, you won my heart. Now I can trade these ashes in. the foot of the cross.
encourage you to go home and uh, read the four chapters of Jonah, okay? And then skip the next book of the Bible and then read Nahum. There's only three, three chapters there. And you get the whole story of Nineveh. And we'll talk more about this next week, the Lord willing, okay? 
Turn around and shake hands with a few people before you go home. God bless you today. Have a, have a wonderful day. Sky.